1: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Wanna know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous! Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, I'm Annie Burke, and this is New Books and Film. As the character of Apollo Creed points out in the 1976 film Rocky, Sentimental storytelling is not just very American, it's also very smart. But this combination of the sentimental, the smart, or the savvy, and the American could just as well refer to the sports movie genre itself. It's a complicated triangulation, but luckily we have here to walk us through it Dr. Grant Wiedenfeld, Associate Professor of Media and Culture at Sam Houston State University and author of The Very Smart, Hollywood Sports Movies and the American Dream published by Oxford University Press in May of this year. Grant, thank you for joining us.
0: Annie, thanks for having me on.
1: So I know you, but maybe not everyone listening does. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into film scholarship.
0: Uh, I think I actually got into film scholarship from experimental film, strangely. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Des Moines, which is about as generic as one could be. And, um, you know, naturally went to, to college to become an engineer. And, uh, when I was there, I had a roommate who was making a horror movie for his super eight filmmaking class. He asked me to act in it. It was great. It was like, you know, the, um, uh, chocolate syrup for the blood, all the effects. And I went to the screening, and I and there I discovered experimental film, and it uh, it blew my mind. I was at the University of Colorado at Boulder, where Stan Brackage and a lot of people around Stan Brakhage um, were making and are making experimental films. Uh, so I love, yeah, I just love. It was just a discovery of art for me. I, I did a, went on to make a, do an MFA at Milwaukee. Um, but at, at at that point, I decided I, my love of learning was maybe bigger than my love of making. And uh, so I decided to do a PhD in film and literature at Yale.
1: So you sort of went from engineering to experimental film to literature and film. And now you you're, this is your first monograph, and it is about the Hollywood sports movie. How did this particular book project originate did it begin in in your graduate program
0: uh, kind of uh i mean they say that your first book is about your parents and kind of big picture this is true you know i i was reared on popular culture sports fandom watching movies uh my my dad and my grandpa were both college basketball players um you know my grandpa was uh Uh, high school basketball coach and teacher. I actually quote him in the, in the, um, chapter on the natural, uh, talking about the depression and, uh, agricultural crisis. But, um, so yes, it's, it's about my background in that sense. And, you know, I, I guess growing up and loving those movies is somewhat of a, true blue American boy, uh, then you get to college and it's, there's all these questions that cultural studies poses And you know, well, if I, you know, if, if, I was in love with, uh, with, uh, Stallone and Rambo and Rocky, does that, you know, does that make me sexist? Does that make me a uh, fascist, uh, racist and all these things. And, and so, you know, asking those deep critical questions was, um, I think what started to, to lead me toward this project. There were a couple of specific things, though, and that was um, my dissertation. I was reading, you know, about Mallarmé, a French poet thinking about ritual, and that got me onto civil religion in this direction. And there was um, there was a graduate conference on the global 1990s, and I, I did a paper on point break and that <laughs> I, I think that's what that's what um, kind of planted the seed.
1: That's right. So uh, Grant and I went to Yale together, so I know what he's talking about with the global 1990s. Um, Now, the sort of the film program at Yale is very interdisciplinary, and your book is also very interdisciplinary, brings in a lot of uh, different kinds of scholarly voices from different fields. So you obviously, as you mentioned, the cultural studies piece, you see Stuart Hall makes makes an appearance in your book. Um, sociologist Jeffrey Alexander comes up a bunch, I'd say. And there's a lot of other voices that sort of contribute to your reading of the Hollywood sports movie um, in its relationship to liberalism, to civic religion, and we'll get into that in a moment. But I would say that your most important through line is probably critical theory as you sort of position Adorno and other um, sort of major voices in the Frankfurt School and their assessment of mass culture. and You position it against kind of Arendt and some of the concepts and ideas that she developed, not specifically about the sports film or even about um, Hollywood movies, but that apply in some very uh, provocative and important ways. Can you say a little bit more about sort of the Adorno and the Frankfurt critique of mass culture and what Arendt provides? Arendt.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's two kinds of Studies that one can do. I could study a new object or study an old object in a new way. And, you know, my study of Hollywood movies is definitely in the latter category. People have studied sports movies before, uh, especially following critical theory school. Uh, You know, Aaron Baker, Sean Cross, and uh, Deborah Tudor to mention, uh, uh, Veridiana Lieberman to mention a couple examples of the monographs. And there's probably been hundreds of articles on Rocky. Uh, and and so in reading uh, in reading those those works, uh, I got to think about you know how do we how do we read um, uh, movies and and what is kind of guiding guiding our understanding. And I found that uh, you know Adorno and Horkheimer, this the culture industry part of dialectics of enlightenment is a is a key article that kind of represents a big school or a way of understanding what Hollywood is all about. Um, and a vulgar way of putting it is that it's it's fake art. It's, uh, you know, represents the interests of the owner class and it's dumbing everyone down. Um, and what that's rooted in is an economic perspective that the it's the economics of the industry that, Um, Is representing those interests, Uh, and and that's true not only for looking at Hollywood movies, uh, but also at you know art cinema. You know, I know you had uh, Danny Fairfax on to talk about his book, and you know the kind of Cahier school of you know cinema ideology criticism is is also I think really following Adorno in this idea of the you know to understand the the it depends upon the economic position of the work, who made it, the means of production, and so forth. Now, Arendt, for me, uh, I I came upon her as a different way of thinking about what is political that's not centered on the economy. You know, for her, uh, she's thinking about life in the city uh you know here's the civitas and and where civic comes in uh which is really similar to the you know the polis um and public life okay it's a way of thinking about hollywood that maybe we we can bracket or put economics in the background uh which is uh which goes against the grain of of a lot of critical theory and cultural studies.
1: Would you say that Adorno and some of the other uh, Frankfurt school, like another potential source of their discomfort with mass art had to do with sort of mass movements in general after experiences and with the third Reich? because when reading your work, I'm thinking that Arnt had a much more um, sort of optimistic or positive idea of what it means for, there to be a sort of a collective mass action versus this kind of fear of people walking in literal lockstep that you get from some of the other Frankfurt authors.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I think they're all traumatized by, by, you know, the third Reich. Uh, they just understand it in different ways. Uh, you know, I think, I think uh, Horkheimer and Adorno, they see the problem as the the um, as the, you know, contr- the control of the industry by, by the, you know, kind of central, central figures. Um, and, and it's all about kind of individual distancing from that uh, is, is the solution. Whereas when a rent, and this is origins of totalitarianism, when she's trying to understand like, how did things go so wrong? Uh, in fact, she sees it as the alienation of people from each other, uh, and that they're kind of being put in into private, private kind of suspicion. And, and this this also is not only in Nazi Germany, but in you know kind of Stalinist uh, Soviet Union. This not being able to trust anyone, uh, not be you know being able to express yourself in public. There's a there's a lack of, you know, is this is related, related to civil rights, uh, you know, from the American perspective, that there's, yeah, there's something positive for her about people gathering, um, and that, that there's more optimism about what people can do as a mass. Um, it, it isn't necessarily grounded in critical uh, contemplative thought.
1: Right was a rant that really gives birth to what you, your own sort of terminology or framing of the Hollywood sports movie as a kind of civic screen. Can you tell us about this term, the civic screen? And I am curious whether Arndt came first or the civic screen came first. Which one did you develop and what did you bring in to support the other?
0: Yeah. uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. I mean, this, this maybe could have been the title of the book that wasn't so obscure civic screen. Um, in a way, it's just talking about the politics of cinema in a broader sense. I actually came to Arendt, um, not at the beginning of the project, but halfway through, uh, both in thinking about civil religion, uh, and, you know, Philip Gorsky's book on the history of American civil religion is great here, uh, picking up on Robert Bella, and maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll talk a little, about later how, where he talks about Arendt. And then also thinking, reading about multiculturalism came to find that, you know, Arendt and Charles Taylor are very key for the philosophy of uh, multiculturalism. And I'll just explain briefly what I think that is. And, and it's her idea of that, that come up in the human condition of plurality. Her big argument is that you can't think of an individual person, she uses the word man, as existing. A man doesn't exist. Only men exist. Only people uh, as a collective. We're, you know, human beings are never um, not in relationship with other human beings. So this underlines for her why public life is so important. And why, you know, the private and privatization is uh, a tragedy or a kind of deprivation if it goes on uh, too long. So uh, the importance for rent of what the political about is is being in public in relation with other people and then being seen. Action is the term that she uses. And, you know, through action or speech, you get recognized in your individual difference. Uh, but only in relationship to, to others. So kind of this is a, you know, philosophical background on what, what it means to be human. And so I'm, so what I'm, what I'm trying to do is think about cinema and popular culture's role in public life and, a different way through this. Uh, it has to do with imagined community and public opinion, um, the civil sphere, not necessarily center. Yeah, I've already talked about, uh, you know, economics is in the background or bracketed. Uh, it's not necessarily focused on governance, which is usually what the political is about, uh, but it can be a little bit broader in thinking about values, uh, you know, how do movies tell the story of who we are and, you know, the particular people um that our actors in um us our whomever's community is watching these movies
1: well this idea of the the shared values that these movies promote i I think a major sort of purpose point of your interpretations is to open up how these films that are typically treated as sort of facile blockbuster movies or you know like not having all of these currents running beneath have the potential to be interpreted in these very different or repurposed in these very different political ways. So particularly like uh, Rocky, which I just mentioned, but all these films that maybe have been traditionally thought of as um, Hollywood moving right, moving rightward, being more conservative, wanting to hold up certain heroes uh, and position others as villains uh, is Uh, it was really interrogated by your particular readings of the films, the the ones that you emphasize. And so, I mean, that is a a key, a cornerstone of the cultural studies approach is to do this kind of reading against the grain, or in the case of feminist, queer, post-colonial kinds of readings is to recuperate what might initially seem like it is um, an oppressive text, but to find these like channels of liberation or possibility. Uh, So keeping in mind that this is an approach that really spans a lot of different kinds of cultural objects. What do you think is particular about the Hollywood sports movie that sort of cries out for this kind of uh, interpretive flexibility or like generates this kind of political, I don't want to say incoherence, that sounds critical, but this political multivalence? Good question.
0: on the on the On the one hand, it there isn't anything so political, uh, uh, anything so particular about sports movies that you know, you can't you can't use this approach on other other genres or or other types of movies. I mean, in a way that the the reading of of Hollywood in this period as being rightward moving, is, is driven by the the economic focus that it's, the, it's the economic expansion of Hollywood that whatever values we might see on screen are in fact uh, just a, a veil for the deeper values of, you know, the, the, the owner class in the industry. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I want to say that the, there's, there's some aspects of the sports movie and Hollywood in general that appear differently if you have a different idea of politics. Um, so, that's a little, that's kind of big picture what it's about. Specifically about this, the sports genre, though, what does it have to do with politics? Um, <clears throat> I think, in fact, it's that sport itself is a fiction. When you play a game, there's this imaginary space of lines, you know, lines on the field, this goal that you invent, uh, and this drama that's created. There's, uh, you know, there are winners and losers and suspense. Um, and, and it's so abstract. Michael Mandelbaum talks about this in his book, Meaning of Sports. It can kind of absorb all sorts of different meanings. You know, sports is not capitalist, uh, you know, Soviet Union loves sports, too. Uh, sports sports can take on all kinds of different meanings. Uh, and in the, you know, from the 1970s to, to today, when there, there was a, a boom in sports movies in Hollywood, I think Hollywood took an interest in it because you're trying to work through, you know, what is the American dream today? Uh, what is American identity? Kind of post Vietnam, uh, post '60s, and uh, unlike the you know the Western, which is which is based you know around kind cow- of cowboys and Indians and in the other and the land, sports movie is not attached in those ways. Uh, it's a little bit more open for for how you represent the nation uh, and. Sports are full of minorities, a lot of black people in sports. So, so it, you know, in dealing with questions like race, uh, this sports is a natural, was it, was a natural place to do that, I think. Um, and then there's also the, the one other aspect, of course, these movies are not about sports in the end. They're all about the off, you know, what's happening off field. And it's the interplay between the two, which maybe is is what makes them interesting for thinking about um, the c- complex of meanings. There's the relationship between the you know the heroes and their their community, their lovers, and uh, you know the drama of whatever game they're playing and trying to win that game.
1: I, mean, I was just talking to my dad, who's a big uh, baseball fan and baseball movie fan, and I was saying that. I never really thought of a league of their own as a sports movie because it's not really about sports. For me, it was about female friendship and, you know, patriotism. Then I realized reading your book, most sports movies really aren't about the fiction of sports. They're not about the rules of the game necessarily. There are these opportunities to talk about these other cultural and communal formulations. Um, League of Their Own is one of the films that you talk about is one of the case studies in your book. Can you just tell us what are the main films that you write about in this book? And I know the answer to that one, but I'll let you do it. And then maybe you can tell us if there's any that didn't quite make the cut, but that you wished you'd have more space to dedicate a chapter to say.
0: Yes. uh, I thought about a lot of movies uh, and ended up just choosing six to do Kind of a deep dive into and that you know the reason i did i i took that approach uh, was uh i wanted to say something original about these movies uh, and to to really get close into them as a as works of art and and to see all their complexities all uh, you know all these different possibilities of meanings in there um, <clears throat> Maybe it could also be good good for teaching too if you, if you want to watch one movie, assign a chapter on one movie. Although that that wasn't very very <laughs> excerptable book,
1: listeners. It's a very excerptable book. You can just pull one right out. <laughs> tell your library, yeah.
0: Oxford Scholarship Online. Just download that Rocky chapter. Oh yeah. decide, You know, you do, you want to do uh, you know the the chapter on Slapshot for a Rust Belt and uh, you know perfect, and, and we'll talk about masculinity, but. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the idea was that in doing these, just a select number of movies that, you know, I'd be able to cover the themes uh, that would do the, um, it's really talking about America in the whole period and Hollywood in the whole period. Um, And it's not specifically tracing the genre. And genre itself, you know, since the study of the pragmatics of genre, you know, from Rick Altman and, um, you know, Jason, uh, Mattel in, in television studies, you can't just, you know, it's, it's not so simple to just pick out what a genre is. It's, there's all these industrial questions. So, so it's really a study of America through the lens of these, of these movies, um, <clears throat> Rocky Slapshot, The Natural, whiteman Can't Jump, um, uh, League of Their Own and Ali, uh, the uh, 2001 biopic with Will Smith. So, I th- you know I think they cover I think they cover the period and and all the issues um, coherently. Things that are just just outside it, uh, maybe chronologically. I, I actually wrote a, a book chapter on um, 42. And Race, the, uh, there's this uh, Jackie Robinson movie starring Chadwick Boseman and um, Jesse Owens movie with Stefan James. It's a chapter in uh, a collection edited by Sean Crossan called Sport Film and National Culture. Uh, so that, I mean, that covers a little bit kind of the legacy of Ali mm-hmm. and maybe the there's the duality between kind of c- Christian, uh nationalism and multiculturalism and the and uh more atheistic side other movies that uh are on the i mean i didn't talk about sexuality kind of because hollywood doesn't talk about sexuality that much personal best and battle of the sexes uh would be the would would be the movies there um i've did a conference paper on Bend It Like Beckham, but uh, well, that's not really a Hollywood movie. Uh, you know, there's some big ones like Mighty Ducks and Remember the Titans. Um, there's those things those do the, appear.
1: It's not you do mention yeah. those for listeners that there are a lot of uh, sports films mentioned in the book that don't get a full chapter. Uh, but I was curious about you know sort of which ones you wished you'd had the opportunity to spend more time with. But you know, books are books are finite objects. You Can't talk about all of them. I'm pretty happy with the ones that are in there
0: uh you know it's more at things I I actually just outside of it like Forrest Gump uh you know Top Gun there's a little bit of sports in here but uh many interesting things about America
1: Absolutely um so those are the main but I thought we could sort of talk about them uh Altogether, uh, in this conversation, rather than go through your book chronologically, which makes a lot of sense for the way that you forge your argument, but since this is more of a freewheeling enterprise, let's look at some of the themes. You end the book. I'm going to start at the end. You end a book with sort of a reiteration of five of the most of the themes that thread through all of these post-Vietnam sports movies. Uh, so multiculturalism. Some of these are callbacked earlier in our conversation. Multiculturalism, community imperial legacy liberalism and civil religion uh so let's start with multiculturalism and community uh i was struck by your point that happy endings are not always a matter of victory this is a quote uh or a paraphrase i should say but a matter of public happiness um and that is I think an important point to think of it. will start with the endings because not every sports movie has a happy ending, but that doesn't, or doesn't end with a victory. And it doesn't even necessarily have a happy ending, but how these films end obviously have great bearing on sort of what, on their meaning, on their political uh, possibilities. So talk about this difference between victory and public happiness.
0: Yeah. uh,
1: Sometimes when you win, you lose. And sometimes when you lose, you win. Right. That's, that's white men can't jump everyone.
0: Yeah, I love I love that part of uh, why Men Can't Jump. The Gloria, uh, the Rosie Perez character, has has this great speech um, about how it's all one big organic globule uh, <clears throat> versus these men's rules uh, of you know happiness is victory and success and money. Uh, well, not not so much the case. The, Rosie um,
1: Perez is the smartest person in every every. She's the smartest character in pretty much everything I've ever seen her in. I always feel like. Her character gets it more than anybody else. Uh, and that's yeah, and she, what and she's a genius in down. this
0: movie, right? Like yes. the uh, Trivia whiz. Foods
1: that begin with Q. But yes. Yeah, so she talks about the organic <laughs> globule that, that, that maybe as a woman, she understands that it's not always about the game win, that there's other forms of winning and losing. And this is to your point about public happiness and private romantic contentment, too, for her.
0: What is a quince? Yeah. What is a quince? <laughs> So I was trying to rethink this idea of the happy ending, uh, you know, kind of the Adorno versus Arendt way. And Arendt has a whole chapter called Public Happiness in her book on revolution. And she actually goes back to, the chapter is called Pursuit of Happiness and it goes back to uh, the Declaration of Independence. And interesting reading of this text because the classic triad uh, in the you know, British world at this time would have been life, liberty, and property. And so usually you know, the declaration, declaration is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. People, people would say, oh, Jefferson, you know, he, you know, pursuit of happiness, this is just kind of a euphemism for property and people's you know, rights to have individual property and success. Uh, but, but she pulls out a different aspect of the discourse where people talk about public happiness like John Adams, uh, I think it comes up in, in in other kind of Enlightenment thinkers. And the idea is that, again, human condition, the, the true nature of happiness is action. It's participating in civic life. It's participating in self-government. Uh, and so in this sense, like the happy ending is about belonging to the community and about being recognized as an individual, uh, in that community to be seen. So this, this fits very, very well, I think with, uh, kind of, you know, Aristotle's thinking about comedy versus drama, you know, the unity in comedy in the end, and, and also the recognition of the individual. So you have all these happy, happy endings in these sports movies without victory. And this is the way that I interpret them. Rocky, uh, doesn't win the the fight and Rocky won against Apollo Creed. He does later. And those movies are a little more epic than comedy, but, uh, that, you know, how is this a happy ending if he loses by decision and it, it isn't about, Oh, the judges were wrong. Rocky should have won. No. Um, it's that his, he's being recognized, uh, both as an individual, uh, all of his wounds are being recognized It's like the struggle that he's gone through uh, is is being witnessed. Uh, he's expressing who he is. He isn't holding it in in this kind of um, you know classical masculine way. He's 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 expressing his his all his all of his emotion with uh, Adrian there. And he's becoming a representative of Philadelphia and, you know, kind of working class Philadelphia that uh, that he's he's displaying um, and that he's becoming as the hero for for uh, the audience of the movie. So in a way, yeah, like the the happiness is is. Um, you know, the, the multicultural aspect here is is the recognition of minorities uh, within the broader community and recognition of that minority community. Um, and this is in contrast to the, you know, the imperial legacy, which is all about being the best. It's all about winning, um, being better than someone else. I like, I mean, I like imperial as a word better than monarchy or aristocracy because those often tie in bloodlines, but this, you know, the idea of empire is, you know, rule by the best, uh, meritocracy, uh, this is, this is the, the tension that I'm trying to pull out here between the, uh, you know, kind of multicultural democratic side and, uh, the imperial hierarchical side.
1: Right. So, I mean... Rocky is a great sort of bridge between these conversations about multiculturalism and community into imperial legacy because, as you mentioned, some of these films, by sort of trying to navigate racial disunity and disharmony in this moment, uh, obliquely discuss or even sort of make arguments for affirmative action. Um, And I think you sort of bring that out with the discussion between uh, between Apollo Creed and his team trying to find a heavyweight, you know, like a competitor. And he sort of does like the reverse of affirmative action in this particular moment, which is to like, you know, find a white hometown boy to compete against. Uh, very strategically scripting himself into sort of the antagonist in a way that the film is choosing not to do. Like, so he wants to like create this sentimental sort of story of maybe the word white resentment doesn't quite come in, but it's sort of, I think it's implied. Um, and then we see Apollo later in that final fight sequence, he, he makes a very spectacular entrance into the ring, doing a kind of burlesque of American history and iconography in a way that's both sort of a loving tribute and also kind of a joke uh, at the same time. So I guess I wanted to talk about both of those things. I don't know if they can be done together, but first I'm interested in sort of um, these sports movies, which are not, you know, they are deeply political, but in other ways they're very, they try to leave open the possibility of multiple interpretations, different kinds of viewership, different politically oriented viewers. Um, But the kind of quiet defense or explanation of affirmative action seems to be a pretty, is is a pretty, um, political statement, and I wanted to hear about how you, how you draw that out of these films. Uh, But then I do want to move into more of the imperial legacy part of it too, uh, because you sort of open with Rocky, uh, the imperial legacy amid sort of um, the depressed working class community. And then it comes up a lot more in in the case studies that follow.
0: Yeah. The, the arc that I find overall uh, in, in this period is that there's this gradual acceptance of multiculturalism and, and affirmative action, but that it doesn't it doesn't follow what I say would be a logic of justice where, you know, the 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 most um, the most oppressed are the first ones integrated. In fact, it's the white minorities that appear first, uh, and then the you know the black black and uh, women and um, <clears throat> Hispanic. Uh, well, not, not represented Hispanic or, or Asian in sports movies, unfortunately, but, but that's, the, that's the kind of reverse. Within, within this progress, there's this kind of countercurrent uh, direction that it takes. And, <clears throat> you know, off of what it, what it really is a dichotomy or, or a between would be uh, in hiring the idea of being colorblind. And you just choose the best candidate. Again, here, the best candidate is like the imperial side um, versus, <clears throat> you know, choosing a qualified candidate, but, uh, you, you know, putting value uh, behind, uh, you know, representation and diversity and, and whatnot. So Rocky is interesting in this way because movies written by Stallone, but the how does Rocky get chosen to fight the champ? He's not a ranked contender. Um, he is in fact like just a qualified one who's who's chosen because it's going to be fought in Philadelphia they want to you know wants to have a hometown snow you know snow white um, underdog to face him. So, so it's interesting that the movie is, not being colorblind, it's it's being very upfront about affirmative action, but doing it in all these reversed ways that both tap into the white resentment, which you know Daniel Lieb and others have picked up picked up from uh, that time, but is also you know in the in the long run kind of softening up this idea of um, or at the same time opening opening up the idea to something that's not just about the best it's this American sentiment of giving the underdog a chance uh that that plays into it too um so that I mean that movie's pretty complicated there it's glory you know Gloria the Rosie Perez character in White Man Camp Jump is also interested in how I think she her success the way it's presented as a satire is is also um uh it's Without just representing affirmative action in a simple way, it's kind of using the you know the complexity of of comedy to put it put it out front and and think about it uh, in ways that I think become then supported in in later movies. Uh, well, this is the optimistic reading, anyhow. Um, but the yeah, I mean the. old what I'm reading is the overall value of you know democracy being about including everyone um, not just the winners the, the the losers as well and this is one of the truths about sports is that uh, there's a lot more losers than winners
1: right uh, really, but really the community is the strengthened by this the community is strengthened through this upholding of multicultural. Um, incorporation I think like the community of the of the basketball uh, of sort of basketball hustlers and white men can't jump but also I mean maybe it's a stretch to call Jeopard- Jeopardy a sport but it does sort of the, the scene in which Rosie Perez finally after having wanted the whole film to be on Jeopardy when she's finally able to participate she thinks that it's been sort of a merit- meritocratic rise but it's not it's not quite like she just abolishes. She just demolishes the competition. Um, yeah, and the, and the competition
0: is like a, these these old white guys who are a rocket scientist and an English right. professor.
1: <laughs> right. Some I was going to say some new books listeners. No, no, new books network listeners. No, just kidding. We, you're all you're all rosy presents to me. Um, exciting and new. So thank you. Well, for there's listening. there's one more thing I want
0: to say about the affirmative action, which I, I don't really get in. I, Uh, I don't want to get into too much, but again, this oftentimes this kind of left-right dichotomy is between um, multiculturalism and uh, assimilation and and color you know colorblind assimilation. And what and what I'm pulling out in this book is kind of a middle path. uh, Hyphenation is how Jeffrey Alexander. Theorizes it, and so kind of how I'm talking about. There's there's affirmative action in here, kind of. Uh, this is sort of the hyphenation, kind of the messy, messy mix that I think is where where the you know progressive democratic aspect of Hollywood, these Hollywood movies lie. They're they're obviously not you know uh, Puerto Rican, you know, a movie about a Puerto Rican uh, New Yorican, uh, Rosie Perez made by a New Yorican director. That would be the multicultural model. This is not that, uh, but, uh, I think it's different from the assimilation too.
1: Absolutely. Um, so this kind of the symbol or representative to move into this Imperial legacy question, um, how the Imperial sort of rec, um, haunts, runs through these films in contrast to sort of a more democratic or uh democratic form of community and governance um let's talk about the american flag uh the the american flag makes a lot of cameos in this movie um arguably some kind of proxy or surrogate civic screen because text is put over it it's sort of in the background of important scenes in the case of rocky it's becomes um a kicky costume uh, can you sort of talk about the flag, the flag in whichever of these films, or how they sort of resonate across the the examples you've chosen?
0: Yeah, the old red, white, and blue. Um, <laughs> of course, it's of course it's everywhere because these movies want it to be everywhere. You know, they're trying to they're they're t- transparently, I think, making movies that are about America through the you know allegory of the characters that are in them. Um. And yeah, the flag sh- shows up in, in different ways. It's, uh, one of the ones that's most compelling to me uh, as, uh, as far as, you know, sentimentally, well, there's, there's, there's two for first it'd be league of their own. Um, and it's not so centered on the flag, but this patriotic moment of the national anthem in it, a couple of these movies have national anthem scenes and this one takes place during World War II. Uh, this all-women league. Uh, there's a there's a woman singing the national anthem. The women are arrayed on the field in the in a V pattern. Um, <clears throat> this kind of collective achievement. Uh, I mean, I, I there's a, it's a certain kind of representation of a feminist America uh, that I think is striking. Um, and something about, the, I mean, something about this this movie that that uh, I don't I don't think has been a, fully appreciated because, of course, the main character Dottie is not a good feminist. Uh, you know, Veridiana Vir- Lieberman talks about this in, in her book, and, and many have.
1: You I'm gonna know, put sp- air quotes around that. Not a good feminist. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. tricky. You have to get. You have to call in, like you know we have I was I was gonna say Bell Hooks, but R.I.P. Like uh, we get to get like Roxanne Gay and and Taylor Swift in here to talk about that, but yes, she is not a second wave lean in career feminist. You're right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Spoiler alert. You know she she decides not to quit playing baseball to you know go back with her husband and have babies. Uh, Who will yeah, later there's...
1: become the president during an alien invasion? So mm. it's a kind of it's a kind of patriotic. Gestures <laughs> of sorts, right? Well, she doesn't play The Wife in America in Independence Day, but yes. That's uh, funny. played by Gina Davis is Dottie. Gina yeah.
0: Davis, who's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I mean kind of my whole reading about that film is that it's it's about convincing her that this collective achievement is good and that you know the uh, and honoring that that history. Uh, and 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 you know, an aspect, this collective side of, um, of feminist values, that's, that's very democratic and important. Uh, so, so, so the, you know, the flag in that movie and how it's tied into also this patriotism of World War II and being anti-fascist and kind of an image of America as a leader of democracy in the globe, um, is, is compelling. The, the, the second one, um, which is related, it's not in a movie, but I talk about in the the conclusion quite a bit is uh, Colin Kaepernick in 2016 in his kind of Anthem protests uh, and how it's, uh, you know, he, he's convinced by this, by this veteran Nate Boyer to kneel rather than just sit indifferently during the Anthem. And this kind of ritual of repentance um, I I think it's really compelling of this idea that the stars and stripes is not only about pride and being better than everyone else. This would be the Imperial side, but also this sense of, you know, repentance, uh, and mourning for, uh, in religious, civil religious terms, the sins of the past, uh, uh, slavery, racism, uh, empire being some of those. And, It's this kind of potential that's um, this potential for patriotism that that is out there, uh, but not fully realized yet. So.
1: Right. Well, it's also I think this this idea that the flag can be both a symbol of victory, but also rather than thinking about public happiness, it's sort of like public subjugation, which I think connects Colin Kaepernick's feeling that, you know, what has the flag? He's uh, taking a knee, not personal, obviously, personal remorse or repentance, but, like, national or historical repentance. Um, And, like, that there's the image of the flag in Slapshot toward the beginning that sort of happens in proximity to the discussion of the closing of the plant and, like, how the whole town will suffer. Uh, So it's interesting to me the way that the flag can be um, an occasion for this kind of, yeah, this critique. But then at other moments in the films, it's this moment of great triumph, like in um, A League of Their Own. They don't sort of bring in the the flag at moments of sadness or or problems. These are triumphant, but also kind of nostalgic. So I wonder if there's something to be said about the difference between the flag and how it's used in these historical, backward-looking films like not backward film, to be clear, backward-looking, nostalgic films like League of Their Own and The Natural versus Slapshot or Rocky. And then Ali is kind of a tricky example because I think it's a biopic, but it isn't maybe I, – I think there's something very – because of your reading with Kaepernick, it's hard to see that as – it feels very contemporary by comparison, maybe because it's not as nostalgic as the other's. As the other two, the baseball yeah. ones.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is why. In, in I, I, mean, I think the the period this book covers is really talking about America up till today, and the, and that movie still feels still feels very very present. Um, yeah the the it's it's yeah it's hard to separate the 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 flag and what it's doing from kind of depictions of the nation overall. But I I love the one the point. That you brought out from the beginning of Slapshot, which opens with this, yeah, like you say, this image of the flag at the moment that the plant is closing, which is, you know, I, I guess I usually, I first read that as kind of a disgust with the flag and a disillusionment of America that that's being expressed by that. But I mean, maybe one could also see that the, the flag is standing in there it's almost like the people who are being wounded by this, uh, and yeah it, could, it it can do a lot of different things as far as the you know the the genre, the genres within the genre here um is good insight i hadn't thought about this but it's true that you know the the historical sports movies biopics those movies tend to be about honor and memorials to the past and so they have a more positive view of the flag Uh, and and patriotism and and the kind of values that they're trying to pick out um, and what is being honored and memorialized versus the um, contemporary comedies. They're they're sort of social comedies about social problems and and the ambivalence of those problems is reflected in in the flag there uh, in that one from Slapshot. There's also one appearance in White Men Can't Jump at the beginning uh, that I love. The flag is just in the background, but the, you know the the uh, white character Billy Hoyle is out there hustling Sydney, um and he's p- pretending to be innocent and this is the I love this idea is of a critical view of the flag and of neutrality as this sort of sham neutrality that is in fact uh, you know there's a white privilege there that's being identified.
1: I think. I mean, I also think that possibly that Vietnam dividing line that you draw in the book might have something to do with it. Sort of, what is imperial, What is the imperial present? Uh, imperial America? What does it look like before and after Vietnam? So Rocky and Slapshot are looking at a different. What sort of the arrival of the American flag and the planting of the American flag means something different in the seventies, and it does. Like looking backwards at World War Two and looking back at sort of the New Deal. Um, but I think that regardless of whether we're looking at historical films or present films, these last two themes that you draw out, liberalism and civil religion, civic religion, or no, civil religion, am I right? Civil religion, not civic. Civil religion, right, um, are present in all of them. And it's a kind of structuring tension between the emphasis on the individual freedoms, individual success of liberalism, winning, you know... This sham, new tra- you know, like whether you're going to be a hustler, whether you're going to actually be in good faith working on a team, if you um, are, you know, going to advance your own financial interests or whether you're going to sell the team and take the loss. Um, and then you have that positioned against civil religion, which is more communally oriented, involves kind of like collective rituals. Um and these two are put in tension to kind of ask, I'm taking this from T.M. Scanton, Scanlon in The Good Place, like, what do we owe to each other? Um, so in reconciling these, we think of the sports movie as doing it, or, and by say we, I mean, other scholars have sort of, and critics, frankly, think about sports movies are pro-friendship, and they're anti-other guy, you know, foreigner or something, Um But you draw out these other sort of supports and these other um, enemies in the sports film. So one of them is romantic love, which is usually not the focus of a sports movie, but is actually quite central to these questions about public happiness, individual liberalism and sort of civil religion, Um, and also capitalism and the free market, like where money comes into this. Um, So can you talk a little bit about love and money? <laughs> in sports
0: movies. yes love and money um love of money yeah Ooh. well how you know you can hollywood, take it one hollywood at a movies. time or you can talk <laughs> about them together yeah love and money in hollywood movies and in, in a sense, yeah. boy that's that's big there
1: <laughs> i'll give you two sentences yeah <laughs> i
0: i mean um as far as you know talking about empire in the sports movies rock usually usually empire we think of as you know the native versus the foreign um and and this you know this conflict in, in vietnam that you brought out brought out rocky four uh it would be the prototypical example here of uh you know Durago the the foreign soviet uh versus you know rocky the native one but um which is uh always a funny movie because in fact in order in order his his training there happens by going to uh, you know Siberia and integrating himself uh, which which plays plays with that kind of foreign and native thing in an interesting way
1: um, I'm making a face because clearly I haven't made it to that rocky yet I'm like what <laughs> where okay yeah, yeah.
0: He, he he has to become like a truly native Russian uh to in order in order to win. So there yeah, there <laughs> Stallone always plays with these with these reversals. Um although clearly the movie is is uh is Cold War propaganda. Uh the, the aspect of imperialism that I'm talking about though, is maybe more abstract. It's about this this hierarchy, uh meritocracy or aristocracy. Uh, The rule by the best, being the best, um, and that that is is the kind of men's rules, as um, Billy calls it, and white men can't jump, of the market of capitalism. Uh, You know, Sidney says it's, uh, I'm not, I can't remember exactly what he says, but basically it's, you you know, you're either hustle somebody else or you get hustled. It's it's this kind of Darwinistic social Darwinistic world. Um, I think that's the that's the aspect of empire that is criticized in these in these films and in this period in a subtle way. Criticized in this movie, in that hustling doesn't work out for them. They they end up being hustled in the end. It's just a world of deceiving everyone else and being exploited, uh, and they find themselves exploited. So. <clears throat> You know, Billy's gambling addiction that he just wants to play one more game to win back what he had lost before. Uh, this is in conflict with, um, you know, the romantic love that he has for um, Gloria. And, you know, so in this sense, love gets associated not so much with uh, the fantasy of success, but in you know a much more 40s way of settling down for a regular job and, you know, valuing the relationships that you have with your community and with other people that um, this is the, this is the aspect, you know, I think that's redemptive for love uh, here and is resisting um, the men's rules of winning uh, capitalism, being the best uh, it's just about money. So it is. There's. I do see this love versus money uh, theme going on in Why We Can't Jump.
1: And love, it seems like, at least in that film, love is, I think it's some of the other examples too, but it's 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 exempt from not only like capitalism and the market and money, like when it's done right, it's it's isolated from that insofar as um, you can't be hustled if you listen to your like you if you listen to your woman you cannot be hustled and at the end of white man camp jump um when billy has lost his girlfriend his sydney's like you, you what did i tell you always have to listen to the woman and he's like but i listened to you he's like you shouldn't have listened to me i told you to always listen so like even though they have the friendship that's sort of like that casablanca like this is like in in lieu of the romance we're going to have this like very strong male friendship still you get the sense that like he should have listened to gloria and like even the man who told him not to listen to gloria knew he shouldn't have listened to me because that relationship is the one that would have maybe been absolutely free of they you know no hustling it's always billy's fault anyway but that sense of always listen to the woman i don't know how many of those that goes into the other films but certainly rocky's vulnerability with adrian um, this sort of, I don't know, heavenly, like seem, seemingly like supernatural, um, like love story in the natural always seems like love is this special protective space or something. Yeah. Now, now that we're
0: talking about it, it, it comes to, it, that seems to, to map upon the parallel plots of the on-field plot and the off-field plot. You know, it's, it's all about the ambition on the field, trying to win. Versus uh, the relationships off the field, and this is where the love happens. Uh, it, so you don't you don't get the falling in love as part of the ambition and trying to marry someone rich. Uh, that, that doesn't appear um, well, at least in the in, in the films that I'm talking about. You know, The Natural is a good example of this. You know, the femme fatale versus the you know the the girlfriend from back home. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess like a lot of the examples that you've looked at also are pretty critical of sort of money in sports. That's sort of the other piece of it, that that's something also that is separate from the game. It's separate from the sport, but in a a much more toxic way compared to like the love that the love and the romance that, you know, allow them to be their best competitors without bringing that spirit of competition or hustling back into the relationship. So Which one do you think is like sort of the most, I don't want, maybe anti-capitalist sounds too strong, but I think it's, it's an interesting question in the context of how these films were really made to make money. Um, Their design, their blockbuster sports films meant to, you know, appeal to the whole family, but, and, and to make money. And yet they're not entirely on board with the system that made them.
0: Yeah. Uh, I actually, as we're talking about it now, I, you know, I think about the, the boxy movie has, has had these themes, um, you know, from, for most of its, of its history, there's the, um, thirties one, uh, it's called, uh, can it, the name is me the Norwegian
1: me a... one. The Norwegian one you talk no, about No, that's the
0: new... New, new, new rock me new all American. That's the, the, mm-hmm. um, this is, this isn't about an Italian and oh. he's uh, he plays violin, but then he wants to go, he wants to go to the city and become a rich fighter. And is and this golden this, boy? Golden boy. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Golden boy.
0: Yeah. That, that, the, the, that, that, theme is there and there, I think, you know, it's in body and soul. It's in, um, um, it's in a lot of places. So I'd be probably Ali picking up on that tradition um, and, and, yeah, there's 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 a lot of writing about the boxing film, actually. A couple a couple new really, really good books about that. Um, but uh, the yeah Ali is yeah this this figure he's this hero for the oppressed, and there's a there's a class element to it um, that's kind of latent there think the, you know, the clear play around, playing around with money is in White men can't jump but um, the moral aspect of it comes out in the natural. The uh, Yeah, each, each one of the each one of these movies gets gets at a different angle of it, it feels like and you know, the, the corporate neoliberal aspect and and, sl- and slap shot. Okay, I'll stop.
1: Yeah, the slap, <laughs> No, the slap shot one is I think what stuck with me the most I was curious what stuck with you but the idea that this is just a, this is just a spoiler podcast. but um, that the owner is going to sell the team whether or not they win because she's not going to sell the team. she's going to close the team because she'll make more money than selling it regardless of how well the team does feels like a real, maybe it's too strong to say a, a real indictment, but it's a, it, to me, it's a real indictment of like, how meaningless sports can become when money get involved, when money is involved because it doesn't matter if they, how they do anymore. They like, um, a, in a lot of, you know, maybe less critical, less sort of political sports movies, the, the plot would be like, if you do well, like this kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Ideally, if they win, then they can stay. And if they lose, then they'll be closed or they'll be relegated or they'll be, then lose their endorsement. But in this, it doesn't matter how they're doing. like. It's completely separate from the livelihood of the team. Um, not so different than what's happening, no matter how well they work, no matter how hard the people at the plant work, it actually has nothing to do with the quality of their job, of their job performance. Um, so why, why work so hard? Um, what are we working for? Uh, if, there, if there's absolutely no connection between performance and ambition and hard work and, and actual outcome? Wow, yeah, so which is which is usually dark.
0: yeah, yeah. I, from a I, pretty l- I love silly movie. movie in a
1: lot of ways. No offense to Slapshot, but it's a pretty silly movie. Like ninety percent of it is just silly. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't, the handsome, handsome I mean, brothers and kind of that. that. and
1: then and hard to and and violent. Um, but then other parts of it are pretty haunting. I think, and that was one
0: that scene. Yeah, but, yeah, because usually I mean the you know the sort of uh, easy. Uh, you know, right-wing criticism of, you know, socialism and communism be like, oh, you know, nobody works hard there because, uh, you know, we have to have a capitalist system where if you work hard, you you know, then then that just aligns with all the moral values and everything. Well, the great thing about this, you know, this movie is pointing out how in this kind of finance capitalism, uh, you know, working hard isn't going to result in them saving the team at all. It's... Um,
1: or even ingenuity, turning their... their- hockey team into like a like a fight club for pay like you know that that no matter what sort of you know enterprising attitude they bring to it it has absolutely no bearing in this finance capitalist yeah
0: speaking of uh, speaking of fight club that that does take it to the next level (laughs) yeah
1: there you go Um, I want to ask you one more thing and it's about sort of to dig into the uh, civil religion part a little bit longer I'm going to quote you back to you so steal yourself Um, the sacred feeling of civil religion is evident in the richness of these Hollywood sports movies as artworks, their intricate construction amounts to more than mere commercial products. So I'm going to end on a little bit of a sentimental note, as I know that you, this is, this is as all academic books are, you point out it's about you, about your family and it's about your, your, you know, what speaks to you. So that's very smart. Um, can you just flag or highlight one of the moments from one of the films in your book that you feel like really exemplifies the kind of the sacred possibilities of the sports movie?
0: Yeah, and here thinking about sacredness in terms of civil religion, it's like the you know religion of the state of the of the community, what kind of ceremony we have together. The, I can't do one, but I could give two that two that really jump out to me. First, of course, is the training montage in Rocky. Um, and, and why I think it's so special is because it's not about hard work and and the whole chapter is about this. He's, he's not a bootstrapping individual. If you look at it closely, it's collective joy that's represented. There's actually a great book by Barbara Ehrenreich on, on collective joy, where I take some of this and that, you know, when he's this moment of training, he runs through every part of Philadelphia and he is in fact becoming like the hero of the city, the representative of the city. He's he's not running, you know, it isn't about winning this day. It's just like the fun and joy of exercise and, and running around and, and connecting with other people. And this guy tosses him the orange and people see him. Uh, I love that moment. And then the second one, um, if that's joy, then, you know, a good counterpart would be the the climax of Ali. After he wins the rumble in the jungle, there's this uh, kind of a montage moment where the music comes in and it's, it feels sacred because the whole meaning of his victory is about, has been set up that in, in fact, he's representing the oppressed and the, you know, the beating he takes in uh, this, uh, the rope dope strategy is, you know, it it represents the beating that all the, you know, the people of Zaire, as it was known at the time, are taking the, you know, the people of uh, of Africa, of the global south, um, of everyone oppressed, it. And so it's it's the sacred moment because it's it's both a victory but it's kind of bittersweet, uh, knowing that all you know, <laughs> oppression has not has not simply been you know overcome uh, in a stroke of uh, of his punch there in in knocking out George Foreman. There's uh we we know that the you know oppression is going to continue and that ali himself it's bittersweet because ali personally we know that this was maybe the height of his career and he and and he's the beating that he's taking is going to lead him to have parkinson's um and and yeah there's that kind of monument to his legacy um yeah for me it really comes together and in that moment of the movie and there's kind of possibilities for what it could represent and the hope but then also the sort of the reality that we know is is following from it
1: those are those are two very powerful moments uh thank you for presenting them for us uh as we close uh do you have any upcoming events for this book any upcoming or current research projects you want to plug here they um just want people to be keep an eye out for you and the Set up a Google alert, find out what's going on with Grant Liedenfeld.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be doing a um, a, a talk on the book at the American Studies Association um, with uh, Jen McLaren and, and her book on um, uh, women MMA fighters. Uh, so yeah, come to that if you're into Where's American that? Studies. What's That's in Louisiana, Louisiana. Okay, in New Orleans at the beginning of um, of November. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm also going back to work on literature, kind of Flaubert and the aesthetics of punctuation. So, uh, you know, only wait another five uh, years and that'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, I'm actually going to be in New Orleans for another event, um, more related to sports at, at NCA, the National Communication Association, in a panel on, uh, transgender, uh, athletes and, you know, very hot button issue right now. And I'm presenting a, um, you know, paper. I think I have, I've, I have a policy proposal for a, you know, a new kind of policy in in sports that I think um, can represent what the, you know, Olympics came out in in uh, IOC in last November, a new framework on fairness, inclusion, and non discrimination which is a different way of thinking about, you know, how you, how you decide who gets to participate in sports. That's not necessarily based on hormone levels uh, and whatnot. So this is a, this is a yeah, really hot button issue. love to really, talk to people about it. really
1: important. Uh, so that's all great. So in other words, check out, go see Dr. Whedon's speak at ASA and NCA, both in new Orleans this fall. Is that right? This fall, different times this fall. Um, start reading Flaubert now might take you a while. So start it now listeners. Um, and please purchase a copy or encourage your library to purchase a copy of Hollywood sports movies in the American dream from Oxford university press. Grant, thank you for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much for having me on Annie for taking the time.
1: (laughs) It was great. Thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning in. See you next time.